This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. 22nd day of January 2021. You know, I was just listening to the news that we had before the show started, and they talked about the uh, excess screen time for kids during the pandemic. Kids, my my ass. Isn't it everybody? <laughs> Haven't we all had... Excess screen time. I mean, how many of us have binged watched everything in existence uh, in all the times that uh, you know we're not going out the way we used to? I'm sure we all uh, probably have that problem. And actually, you know, with all the computer work that I do, um, I you know I had to get glasses. My glasses have this blue light filter. I think everybody in this day and age probably should have that because everybody's. If you're not looking at a phone, you're looking at a tablet. You're looking at a computer. You're looking at something, and uh, I think so. I think we've all had uh, that issue at one time or another. Um, so anyway, uh, sounds like we just had. There we go. My microphone cut out for a second. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So I've had to go with that blue light filter for a while, and I'm sure many of us have probably done the same thing. All right, let's get the sports. We've got Dan Zampano coming up at uh, 9.30 this morning to talk about the NFL championship games this weekend. We've also got some coaching news that I want to run by him, uh, new coaches for the Detroit Lions, the um, uh, as well as the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, some other stuff going on. So we're going to talk to Dan Zampano about all that coming up at 9.30. Um, so let's start off with the UConn women's basketball team. Great win for them last night. It was not a thing of beauty, no question about it, but it was the first big road test for this UConn team this year. Playing a team in the top 25, playing at Tennessee, a place with so much history, a Tennessee team that was 9-2, and two, a Tennessee team that was much bigger than UConn, so they knew they were going to have their hands full, and they were doing something they hadn't done all season. They were getting to play in front of fans. And Gino Ariema was actually, he talked about this. He was actually excited about it because he wanted his his players to have that experience, these young players, especially like Paige Beckers. And, you know, it was a small crowd at Tennessee, but it was a vocal crowd, as it always is. But he wanted them to have that experience, and he said he thought that they would play at a different level. Um for the first three quarters, they played at a different level, all right, but it wasn't the level, I think, that he was looking for. Um, UConn trailed at the end of each of the first three quarters. Now, it was close. You know, they trailed by one at the end of the first quarter. They trailed by one at half. They trailed by four at the end of three. So it was a tight game throughout. But UConn, let's be clear here, did not play their best basketball last night. They had trouble shooting the ball. Now, Gino Ariama has said all season that they are not a great shooting team. He said, I've been saying that from day one. And uh, there is no doubt that they struggled last night. They shot uh, 25 for 61 from the field. That's 41%. The most disturbing thing, because, by the way, you're not moving when this happens. They only shot 47% from the free throw line. They were 10 for 21 from the free throw line. You are going to lose more games than you win if you go 10 for 21 from the free throw line. But the big thing in this game last night was how big Tennessee was. And the one thing that I have to give this UConn team a lot of credit for, besides the fact they won the game, I don't want it to sound like they got drilled. But the thing you have to give UConn credit for is they were getting absolutely abused on the offensive boards in the first half, or in the, mostly in the first quarter. Uh, Tennessee had seven offensive rebounds in the first 
quarter. They had 14 in the game, half of those in the first quarter. Now, they had nine of the of the 14 in the first half. UConn only allowed Tennessee one second-chance basket in the second half where they were getting hammered. I think they allowed 10 second-chance points in the first half. And matter of fact, a couple times they were third-chance points. There were a couple of possessions where Tennessee got three chances to make a bucket. You know, and whether you're a good shooting team or not, rebounding is about effort. It's about position. And you have to give, especially Olivia Nelson-Adota and Paige Beckers, a lot of credit last night for buckling down defensively and doing a great job of limiting Tennessee second chances after that first quarter. It was, you know, they allowed two offensive rebounds in the second quarter, two offensive rebounds in the third quarter. And that was the difference with UConn being able to get back in this game. And UConn outscored Tennessee 22-12 to in the fourth quarter in this game. So when it came time, UConn put the screws down defensively and only allowed Tennessee 12 points in the fourth quarter in their building. Now, scary thing in this game last night, if you're UConn, Paige Beckers got hurt. Now, she was offensively lost. Now, she hit the biggest shot of the night. She drained a three-pointer in the final 30 seconds that gave UConn a five-point lead and put the game away. But she was one for her first 10. She finished three for 14 from the field. But as this freshman has shown, she can do everything. She had eight rebounds. She had seven assists. She had three steals. So she may not have scored a lot, but she hit the big bucket that they needed to, and she did a lot of everything else. And, by the way, she never committed a foul the entire game. So, But what was scary was with about three minutes to go, she rolled her ankle. And UConn had – it was a timeout just before she did it. She goes to the bench, and then she tries to hobble back out onto the court. She can – she's trying to give it a go, and you can see she's not right. So they have to take her out. And they taper up under the uh, the bleachers, and she comes back out and hits that three point bucket in the final thirty seconds to win the game. And uh, I was I, I get the UConn daily. It's a newsletter put out uh, by John Silver, an old friend of mine, used to be a reporter uh, for ESPN. He worked for the Manchester Journal Enquirer here in the state of Connecticut. They put out a a daily uh, UConn newsletter uh, that I get, and uh, you really should check it out if you are a UConn fan. And you really want to check it out. And, and uh, uh, he said that this morning in their newsletter that uh, Paige Beckers did her best Willis Reed imp- impression. Now, if you're young, you probably don't even know who Willis Reed is. But Willis Reed, famously a player for the New York Knicks, uh, big, big guy, center, uh, famously in a playoff game, got hurt, came limping out in the fourth quarter uh, of a game one time and helped the Knicks uh, win a big game. And uh, so, but that's what Paige Beckers did last night. She is a special player. No question about it. So UConn won this one with defense. It was all about effort. Kristen Williams, a big game for UConn last night. She had 20 points. I mean, this is a, this is a player that went scoreless against Providence, what, a week and a half ago? She had 20 last night. Huge game. Uh, Evina Westbrook, her first game back at Tennessee since transferring from the volunteer program, hit three big three-pointers last night and had 15 points. She was clutch, um, and it, it had to feel good for her to leave there uh, with the win. Olivia Nelson, Adota, again, I was worried about her being able to stay out of foul trouble against that huge Tennessee team. She did just that. She only committed two fouls. Now, they were both in the first half. Matter of fact, they were really close together, I believe, in the second quarter. She sat for a while in the second quarter because of that. But outside of that, she didn't commit a foul the rest of the game, had 11 rebounds, had three block shots. Uh, she She took up a lot of room in the middle. She did a great job. And very underrated effort, I thought, by Aubrey Griffin last night. She got into foul trouble. She was the only UConn Husky that had foul trouble last night. Uh, she had to sit for most of the uh, second half because she picked up her fourth foul. She picked up two fouls within about 30 seconds of each other and had to go out midway through the uh, third quarter. 
but she had uh, 10 points last night, four rebounds, and uh, a couple of block shots. She just, again, she is so athletic. And uh, that was just her second career start last night, and I thought she played very, very well. So good win for UConn. Uh, they were supposed to play Providence next Tuesday, a team that uh, uh, they have already beaten. That's been postponed. They will play Georgetown this Saturday, and then their next game after that is a game they just added to the schedule. They're going to play Arkansas uh, at Arkansas next Thursday. Arkansas in the top 25. So uh, uh, as Gino Ariema and the gang try to scramble together um, and cobble together enough games for the NCAA tournament and enough games out of conference to give the uh, tournament committee uh, a better chance for seeding as uh, they've added that Arkansas game. So, anyway, good win for UConn last night. Uh, the UConn men and women, uh, as I said, both play on Saturday. The men have a tough one. They've got Creighton, and, you know, that's off of that uh, disastrous loss. Well, I shouldn't say disastrous, but a tough loss to St. John's the other day, a team that they should have beaten. Uh, and now they have to play Creighton, which I believe right now is, I think, 11th in the top 25. So uh, both the men and the women in action on Saturday. Uh, good game for the Boston Bruins last night. The Bruins, you know, they're 2-1-1 one one now to start the season. It was their home opener last night. Their offense had been invisible this year. Their defense had been outstanding, but they had not been able to put the puck in the net on a regular basis. And last night, for the first two periods, it looked like it was going to be a repeat performance. They trailed 2 nothing at the end of two last night, and they looked like they were in big, big trouble against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, but finally, they get uh, Jack Studnika with his first career goal, scored 57 seconds into the third period to make it a 2-1 game. Charlie Coyle scored about a minute later. Now suddenly it's 2-2. And you're like, you're breathing a sigh of relief. Philly takes the lead back, though, at 3-2. And then back-to-back -back goals by the Bruins by uh, Nick Ritchie and Brendan Carlo gave them the 4-3 lead. Um, and then James Van Riensdyk tied it up on the power play, and it ended up going into overtime, and the Bruins win it in a shootout. Uh, and they win it 5-4. It was fun. It was a fun game. Uh, Jake DeBrusque with the only goal of the uh, shootout. But if you're the Bruins, the thing that's got to drive you nuts in this game is that you get the go-ahead goal and then you get called for a penalty. Brendan Carlo scores the goal. Six seconds later, Sean Corrales picks up a cross-checking penalty and they end up giving Philadelphia the power play and wind up uh, with a tie game. You know, it's just that's the kind of stuff that gives coaches gray hairs. Um, you know, the other interesting thing last night when Studnika scored that goal, it was his first career NHL goal. Do you realize in the first, that's the first five-on-five five goal that the Bruins had scored in their first four games? Yikes. So uh, the NHL facing a bit of a quandary right now. They have a couple of teams that are – really hurting because of COVID problems. We already talked about it yesterday with what has happened with the Washington Capitals and the NHL is forcing the Capitals to play their next three games without Alex Ovechkin um, and uh, without a couple of their other top players. Uh, Dmitry Orlov, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov will not play along with starting goaltender Ilya Samsonov but they are going to have to play. On the other hand now, the Carolina Hurricanes, who have been off since Tuesday, uh, have had their season put on hold until at least next Saturday. So they are going to have at least three more games postponed because of the COVID-19 protocols. Now, why have they, the NHL forced the Capitals to go into that taxi squad they have to carry and play, and they haven't forced Carolina to do that? It's simple. Washington got caught being stupid. Washington has been fined $100,000 for violating the league's COVID-19 protocols. Right? Uh, they had a, you know, they're all gathering together in a hotel room against regulations. So the NHL said, well, you guys want to be stupid? Then you're going to play, and uh, we're going to penalize you by forcing you to play without your best players. The, Cap, or the Carolina Hurricanes, on the other hand, seem to have no idea 
what happened. Rod Brindamore's talked about it. He said, look, uh, he said, we've done everything. He said, we've tried. He said, somehow it got into our room and there's nothing that we can do about it. You know, and the NHL hasn't found any evidence that the Hurricanes did anything that was wrong. So because, you know, it's it's simple. I mean, Carol, Carolina did the right thing. They got it anyway, so the NHL has given them a pass. Uh, not so much for the, the Washington Capitals. Now, each team has been required to carry a taxi squad of between four and six players, and they all travel with the team that can be called up, you know, to fill gaps if somebody happens to come down with it. Well, Washington had to use three of those guys, and they're going to have to play games without it. But uh, Carolina is going to get a pass. Look, you know, there's only been 17 players that have tested positive in the NHL for the COVID. And when you think about that in terms of percentage, the number of players in the NHL, it's not very high. But the issue isn't the number. It's the contact tracing. It's what happens if you if if you still allow teams to play and they have had contact with other players at practices or whatever you know so the nhl really doesn't have a lot of choice here i mean they did put washington on hold for a short time while they did their tracing and they found out it was just you know a few guys and they were dumb so they're going to play but with carolina you know they have so many guys that have been exposed you know there's a real fear there that it could spread like crazy throughout the league so they don't have a lot of choice so um, you know, and here we go. You know, the NBA is facing the same thing. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, we're a couple of months away. We just got to survive the next couple of months. And uh, Joe Biden, you know, our new president trying to do his part, forcing people now, if you're going to be on a train, if you're going to be on uh, an airplane, uh, a, a public uh, bus for mass transit, you have to wear a mask. So those people across the country that don't want to wear masks and don't believe in the virus. And yet, you know what? Now you, there's no wiggle room, you know, and maybe between that and getting people to get the vaccines as we start to roll them out. And hopefully the Biden administration will be able to get them out a lot faster than the Trump administration. Uh, if, if those things happen, maybe in another month or two, you know, the, the we start to dip. Even Dr. Anthony Fauci said yesterday, he said, if you look at the numbers it appears that the rate of infections has plateaued again. And if that's the case, if we've actually got it to plateau, maybe we can start that downward curve. Remember, that was the flattening of the curve that we talked about when this pandemic first happened. And according to Dr. Fauci yesterday, it seems like that's happening. So let's hope. Let's hope that we're only, you know, a couple of months away. Uh, and I know here in the state of Connecticut we're praying for that. If we're going to start high school uh, athletics, we got to hope that that it we really are as Dr. Fauci said flattening that curve. Uh one other quick thing to get to before we uh, have Dan Zampano coming up at 9:30 to talk about the NFL. This is a bizarre story and and it's a sad story out of uh, Detroit. Uh the Detroit Mercy women's basketball team canceled the rest of its season yesterday because every single player and every single parent of those players uh, signed a letter that was sent to athletic director Robert Vowles talking about the abuse that the girls were being subjected to on the Detroit Mercy team. Now, you know, there obviously there are difficult coaches, but when you hear the details of what was being done, uh, this is disturbing. It, the, the coach's name is Anne-Marie Gilbert. She got hired last April. And according to this letter and testimony by the girls to the athletic director, I mean, she has told them not to tell trainers if they were hurt. She told them that, quote, if your bone isn't sticking out, you need to be given some, giving something. They were uh, supposedly told to disregard or not report any COVID-19 symptoms. Uh, they had to do extra workouts to show their commitment to the team, and they were they were told to drop classes that interfered with practice time. And get this, even if those classes were required to graduate, can they were told that they were not committed to the success of the program if they prioritized academics. And uh, and supposedly she also was 
<coughs> harassing and humiliating her assistant coaches in front of players, et cetera. I mean, uh, now you would think, you know, if, 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 if the coach is doing all these things, this must be one dynamic program, right? They must be, God, they must be really good if she's going to, you know, go to these lengths. Yeah, they canceled the season yesterday after the meeting with the athletic director. Well, they're 1-13. in 13. <laughs> They lost six in a row. So this is a team that's awful to begin with, and this is a woman that, you know, obviously is uh, nuts. I mean, how do you – if your bone isn't sticking out, you need to be giving something. My God. Uh, she, By the way, she was hired in April. She – a previous coach at Eastern Michigan, although she's uh, resigned in 2012 because of some uh, NCAA violations, uh, and uh, she had spent the last five seasons at Division II Virginia uh, Union. Suffice it to say, I don't believe that uh, uh, this woman, uh, Anne-Marie Gilbert, will ever be coaching basketball at the collegiate level, and frankly, at the high school level. If anybody, All anybody's got to do is get a win to this story. She's not, co- she's not coaching a youth team. Or ever again, <laughs> one in thirteen, and those are the kinds of things. That's how you're treating your players, you know. And you know, those are the kinds of people that just you wonder how they got a job to begin with. It's just you know, as somebody who worked in college athletics and high school athletics for most of my life, see, hearing about that kind of stuff. Oh my God! I, thank God, thank God. And I worked with some difficult people. Look, I worked with a a men's basketball coach at one of my stops, and I'm not going to give names, but he was one of the most abusive and difficult personalities I've ever met in my life. And the way he treated his players. Now, this is a guy, though, that, you know, off the court, greatest guy in the world. But, boy, when you got him between the lines, he was brutal. Brutal. And brutal to his players on the bus and everything. So I've worked, but, but it never reached those kind of levels. Not even close. Uh, this kind, this is, this is practically criminal abuse. So, uh, Detroit Mercy hanging them up and Anne-Marie Gilbert's, I'm going to be looking for a job very quickly. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan, the man, Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. Welcome back to the wake up call. It is 30 minutes past the hour. We have raised him from the crypt. Dan Zampano has joined us to talk NFL football. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Dan, I'm doing well. Um, yes, yeah, I've been raised from the cave. Sometimes it gets dark in here, and you sometimes you forget to get up. And you know what? I I was awakened by the beautiful, sweet sound of your voice this morning. So <laughs> no. No. it's good. It's good to be back. Not even my wife says that. Good Lord. Uh, all right. <laughs> we got a number of things to talk. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. <laughs> we got a number of things to talk about this morning. Let's start with uh, this. Uh, let's start with Philip Rivers retired uh, after 17 seasons in the NFL. Not completely unexpected, although the Colts had expressed interest in bringing him back. Uh, so I have two questions for you. Number one, with Rivers' retirement, where do the Colts go now? Has this become Jacoby Brissett's team again? I don't know. I think that's a good question. That's that, that. Listen, the Colts, with the Colts losing their offensive coordinator this week, I think that there's going to be a, there may be a, a specific change that I think the Colts are going to wait to free agency and see what happens because the Colts realize, I think, that there's not going to be a ton of first-round talented quarterbacks unless there's a major somebody major drops at, like that far in the draft. Right. I can't imagine that one of the big four quarterbacks falls that far. And I even think that there's a good possibility that a guy like Mac Jones or Kyle Trask may may not be available that low. So. I don't know. That's a good question. I would say that they probably wait to free agency, see what happens, and, and move on from there. My second question, when it comes to Philip Rivers, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Fame quarterback? If he is, he would be only the second quarterback in the NFL era to get into the Hall of Fame without a Super Bowl ring. And, and who is? 
who is the who is the other guy? Dan Fouts. I mean, is it not? It's yeah, Dan Fouts. So I mean, so to me, it's like you know, Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts has as much. Philip Rivers has as much to contribute to the Chargers organization than, than Dan Fouts does. I mean, like, there's to me. I don't think this is even. I don't even think this is a real question. Like, I think that this is this is pretty easy to Philip Rivers as a Hall of Famer to go along and, and do that and, and to accomplish what he's done and to stay in this league for that long. I mean, and be and be pretty successful. Not every year. I mean, Dan Marino never wins the Super Bowl. I mean, like, look, and I know Dan Marino broke all these passing records and right. whatnot. Philip Rivers has a ton, a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns. I mean, one of the best, a top 10 quarterback throughout his career, pretty much. I mean, you I know, don't think but again, is, well, but you is, know, it's not necessarily easy, you know. Well, you know, but the knock on it, you know, and and I'm not saying that he's not. A, a, I think he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. One of the knocks on him is that this is a guy that hasn't even been, in, for the most part in his career, hasn't even been in the MVP conversation. Because look at look at the the quarterbacks that have played during his career. He was kind of overshadowed by everybody, you know, and he had that unorthodox style. But he has also been the most durable quarterback in NFL history as well. I mean, this is a guy that that had, what, 240 consecutive regular season starts? Only Brett Favre had more than that? I mean, that's that alone is pretty amazing. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, Philip Rivers, I mean, we always talked about Eli Manning being the Iron Man. And even Eli Manning overshadowed Philip Rivers at times. Like right. Look, Philip Rivers goes to – Philip Rivers is – you can't write the NFL story of history without Philip Rivers, especially when it comes to Eli Manning's career. Right, exactly. Now that whole yeah, thing right. So, you know, I mean, that fiasco that the Mannings had to go through and he had to go through. But I think that he, it, it was a time when the Chargers organization was very destabilized and Drew Brees had left or had been, you know, let go. And they drafted Eli and couldn't get him and they ended up trading for a guy they didn't want. And it ended up really working out, and he became the focal point of that team for for a generation. So, I mean, I, I think Phil Rivers shoe and Hall of Famer. So, another quarterback that we are wondering whether he's going to retire or not, and uh, I mean, a lot of people think that he will, and that's Drew Brees. But the story to me was this was funnier than hell. Uh, his wife Brittany <laughs> kind of outed him and outed the Saints organization this week. The NFL and the Saints could not have been happy to find out that not only did Philip Rivers had the uh, the lung and the rib problems that we knew about, that he supposedly had a torn rotator cuff and a torn fascia in his foot, and nobody knew anything about it that was never put on any injury report ever, and yet <laughs> she outs him. That is not a good look for the NFL. And I'm sure the Saints will hear about it from the league offices, but... Uh, the, that is one of the underrated things about Drew Brees is like how tough he is. You know, like the guy is small. Yeah. What is Drew Brees? Like, like six feet tall, not even yeah, five not 11. Even. Yeah, about five like, 11. He is, he, he is, he is a small dude, but man, does he deliver and, and, and play through pain and he's been doing it for years. Like, Drew Brees is like this little mighty mouse. I mean, he really is. And and then to be able to and to be able to put up the numbers that he has been able to do. I mean, then I think at the end of the day, Drew Brees is a top five quarterback of all time. And I don't even think it's close. I know people say top ten. I think he's right in the top five. I mean, but he's the most yards of anybody in the history of football. Right. I mean that that's 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 ridiculous. And at his size, and to do it for that long. And he has a Super Bowl ring. Like, tell me anybody else. I know he's missing the MVPs and whatever, but I mean, still, like, tell me anybody else that puts up those numbers and has a Super Bowl ring. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody. Well, you nobody. know, the, I mean, it's unbelievable. the other thing about that is, you know, we were talking all year about how old he looked. You know, and he didn't, you know, he looked like a guy that was ready to retire and probably should retire. And now when you find out about the torn rotator cuff, the fact that he wasn't throwing the ball down the field makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, he was throwing balloons, especially especially in this last game. I mean, you almost felt bad for him on Sunday 
throwing, I think, three interceptions. I mean, they he cost their team the game, unfortunately. I mean, it, it was just it was it was not good, and and maybe some of those interceptions aren't his fault. One gets tipped, Alvin Kamara runs the wrong route, but I mean, you just it it, it, it was almost sad to see him walking off the field and. And but to lose to Tom Brady in the playoffs is is no yeah, there's you know, no, sh- no shame in that. I mean, that, that. There's no shame in that. I mean, everybody in the history of football has done that. <laughs> right. so, I mean, it's it's it, 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 it's a sad ending, and I hope I hope that it's not the end. I don't think the Saints can resign him though. I really don't. The Saints is what like ninety five million dollars. I thought he, over the cap. Like, I thought he had another year. I thought he had another year on the contract anyway. He might have an he. You know what? He might have another year on his contract, but still, I mean, just a cap hit alone, you think's too much. The, Saints, the, the, the cap hit alone. I mean, I don't think the Saints want to resign him. I, I just, I can't imagine that they would, that they would do. I think they, I think the Saints secretly do want Drew Brees to retire. They have to get that cap under control. And they want Jameis Winston. They, the Jameis Winston's tryout was in the playoff game when he threw that touchdown pass, right? <laughs> oh yeah, instant instant starter after one throw. Congratulations! Yeah. Um, another quarter. Other quarterback news. How about this one? I, I was. I have to admit, I was surprised by this, and I'm not sure what to think of it. But Dwayne Haskins signed a futures contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday. Does that mean that the Pittsburgh Steelers are getting ready to move on from Big Ben? And is is Mike Tomlin thinking that Dwayne Haskins he can he can bring him in and and straighten him out? <laughs> I would be. I'm just asking. I, I just think that that was. I thought that was an absolute joke. I mean, I I thought that was a joke to go to Pittsburgh. Okay, the most gum slapping team with the young talent, the guys that are doing TikToks. On the on the logos of other teams, right. and talking more more garbage before games. I mean, the most basically the most immature team in the league, and he goes to, to, to Pittsburgh, and they bring in Dwayne Haskins. Like, I, I'm sorry, I, I think this is such a a side. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe they bring in competition for their quarterback position if they feel like they're going to cut Duck Hodges or Ben maybe can't go or something like that. And they may want to draft a quarterback and, and they want competition for him. Like I'll be surprised if Dwayne Haskins is on the team next year. I really will. I mean, he's got, he's got some talent, but he, he's got a lot of growing up to do and he better do it quick if he wants to play in the NFL. All right. You uh, referenced this earlier, but the uh, Indianapolis Colts, I mean, uh, have lost their offensive coordinator to the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Sirianni will go over to the Colts. Um, what, uh, what was your initial reaction when you saw this? I looked at this TV. I said, Nick Sirianni, who? <laughs> and, and I realized, and I realized, I thought it was Nick Fratiani, oh, yeah, the, the American yeah, Idol, American Idol, Idol Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's, that's who I thought it was at first. Uh, and, and, and so I'm like, who? And then I realized and that I had heard him that he was going to get interviewed a couple of days prior to that. And, uh, and I knew kind of who he was. I knew that he was at the Colts. And at first I was kind of curious. And then I kind of looked into him and to me, he's 39 mountain union guy, uh, has been in the league for a while as kind of a quality control guy assistant. And really for the last three years, he's got to learn under God only knows who he is. Frank Reich. Right. And Frank Reich is, the guy that brought success to Carson Wentz when he was in Philadelphia. So to me, I actually think that it's, it's, it's not a bad hire. I, I really do. I think, I think that Sirianni, everything that I've heard around the league is that he is a incredibly hardworking guy, stoic, not a rah rah kind of guy, but just an incredibly hardworking guy. That's an offensive kind of wizard. He didn't have anything to do with calling plays on the offense but he did have things to do with the game planning skills. I think that the Eagles are, listen, this is Philly. It's a different place than the Chargers or the, or the Chiefs. Or the, it's, Philly is a tough place to coach, Yeah, but it is, it is rewarding when you're successful. So I think that, I think that if they, they want somebody that's going to fix their quarterback problem, I think Sirianni is a good young guy that, that has some talent that I think He's going to have to make a decision, but I think he's got the capability to do it. Uh, the other hire this week, uh, the Lions officially hired uh, the New Orleans Saints, Saints tight end coach, Dan Campbell, as their coach. The amazing thing to me was 
the Lions gave him a six-year deal. For, I mean, look, now, he was an interim head coach for a short time with the Miami Dolphins, but no head coaching experience. You get a six-year deal for a team that is a perennial train wreck. That was the most shocking thing to me. Have you seen this guy talk? This, yes. I mean, yes. this guy is an is a lunatic. <laughs> this guy, yes. this guy, right? He comes into the team. He comes into his press conference and starts talking about how if we get knocked down, we're going to get back up and take out somebody's kneecaps, yeah. and then it's going to take two <laughs> shots to take us down, and then we're going to take a bite out of their ankles, and yeah. we're just going to keep hitting and hitting. He put on his placard on the wall of his office. Dan Campbell, head coach slash the dude. Like, this guy <laughs> is a lunatic. But uh, you know what? I kind of love it. I kind of love it. I think he – and Dan Campbell has been a respected assistant. He was a tight ends coach for New Orleans uh, this past year. Like everybody has – anybody that's ever said anything, any player, uh, has loved Dan Campbell. And he's certainly going to be, I think, a player's coach, and he's going to demand toughness. I just don't know if he can do it in Detroit. Detroit is literally uh, the armpit of NFL football when you start coaching Detroit. So it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing. It's awesome that he's he's like a crazy guy and and he's and he's saying all this stuff. But when it comes to to X's and O's and and actually winning the game and putting a roster together, what does Dan Campbell know? We have to wait and right. see. I don't, I don't know, but I love the guy when he talks. Well, one of the things he's I, definitely worth the sound bite. I, I said this yesterday. He reminds me, and you're probably you may be too young to remember this, but you look at him. He's got like his head looks like it's a square, and you you look yeah. at him. He reminds me of that old uh, game that was around when I was a kid called Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and <laughs> oh, I know robots had those okay. square heads. I said that's who he reminds me of. But I mean, if there's a quintessential guy that looks like a football player. Dan Campbell is it. He, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, so there's one head coaching job left, and it's the Houston Texans. Um, and you know, and they're you know there's they've been conducting interviews, and but there is one guy that has not gotten a head coaching position that everybody speaks highly of. Andy Reid said he'd like to have his kid play for him, and that's Eric Bieniemy. And Eric Bieniemy has not gotten any of these jobs. Are you surprised by that? Um, I think that teams are not wanting to wait and the idea, I mean, Eric Bianami has interviewed for a couple right, of jobs, right. but I don't, I don't think teams want to wait around to have their coach come in. I think they want him to start early and, and the fact that Bianami and Brian Dable for that matter, yep. uh, are still in the playoffs. I think it, it, it it's really hard to get a hiring job. And, and I think that that has hurt him a little bit. I think that. Uh, my, I don't know why teams just maybe think he's not a very good interviewer. I'm not really sure why Eric Bieniemy isn't getting the job, and I do not think he's going to get the job in Houston with the way things are going. Right no, now. it doesn't look like I, it. I just don't think that 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 organization it, it, they're not very conventional right now. I'll put it that way, and because if they have somebody in their front office that is trying to run things his way, and um not really caring about any other. I mean, how can Jack Easterby, how can Cal McNair sit up there and tell us that Jack Easterby didn't make the GM hire when Nick Casario was not on the list of players of, of GMs of the GM search party. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I just, I don't understand. And they wanted to get, and they got fined last year for trying to get Casario away from the Patriots. Easterby was at that Super Bowl party. I mean, like this is so obvious that Easterby is, is is not, even if he's not a cancer to to the rest of the team, the perception is that he is from right. the players, and the players don't trust him, and that's going to kill. And until Cal McNair does something about it, the players are going to revolt, and they're not going to trust the organization, and they're not going to have success with, with that guy in the building. So, I mean, Nick Casario has a major mess on his hands. So, I, I just don't know. I don't know who they're going to bring in. To, to fix that in the head coaching position. It, it's a hard place to coach right now. All right, let's get to uh, to this week's games because that's what everybody wants. They want to hear what Dan Zampano has to say. By the way, I mean, I know you didn't do so well, I guess, against the spread last week on the Sunday card, right? But you went 3-1 and one on the picks here. The only game uh, the only game you, you coughed one up on was the Buffalo uh, Ravens game, 
And that game, boy, talk about a game that was unexpected. 17-3. to I did not expect that kind of a defensive game um, based on, I mean, now obviously Lamar Jackson got hurt, ended up leaving the game, but based on the way those two quarterbacks had been playing, I did not expect 17 to three. I don't think anybody did. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I thought that I thought that it would be maybe lower scoring than people thought because of the weather, but I didn't think it was the Ravens were going to score three points in the game. I mean, right. that was, that was shocking to me. And really it came down to the big play was, was the Taron Johnson pick six, and and that kind of ended things. Any any hope for the Ravens went out the door with that one. Um, look, the Bills had a great defensive plan, and and that plan was we're forcing Lamar Jackson to throw the ball. Right. We, we want the Ravens. We want the Ravens to be throwing it down the field. We don't think he can get it down the field, especially in these conditions. And, and we're gonna we're gonna force it to flood the middle, and and hopefully he he throws us one, and he and he did. And, like it wasn't like the Ravens didn't have success like moving the ball down the field, but I mean it's pretty unconventional too when your kicker, who's amazing, has two missed field goals <laughs> right. in the first half. Yeah, that's and, true. And that was I think the most stunning part of that game. The Bills, um, the Bills had an interesting plan too because they they ended up passing the ball. They didn't call a run play until twenty plays into the game. Yeah, I mean I, I was stunned. By that, I mean I, we shouldn't be because the Bills are the most pass happy team in football. But they are really—I mean—they just completely abandoned the run. So, very interesting game. But again, can you do it in Kansas City? And and obviously, the big question of the week is: Can you do it against if Patrick Mahomes plays? Which I think this is all a sham. He's going to yeah. play. Well, he took uh, he took all I the snaps yesterday, so it's it seems like he yeah. uh, he he's going to play. I'm not sure. Mahomes had a concussion in the first place, but I think that they're taking for granted. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I really, I really don't. I, I think, I think that Mahomes, uh, he will give his left leg to play in this game. Like it, it doesn't matter. He's going to play. And I think that, I think in this game, one of the keys uh, for this game is going to be which defense is going to be able to, to kind of flood the middle of the field. Uh, and 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 cover these receivers because that's going to be the whole game. I mean, I, I think both defenses are going to try and force the other offense to run the football. They will put in light boxes and two high safeties and and, and run big coverages and, and force the other team to be like, "We're giving you the run. If you want it, you take it, but you're not throwing on us today." And, and I think that will be the strategy from from both the defensive coordinators. So so to me. When it comes down to it, um, I don't know if Mahomes is 100% healthy. Yeah, I really don't. I think that foot really is bothering him. Um, does he need it to win the game? I don't think so because his arm is so good. Right. But I, I just think that the Bills here are the Bills are the Bills have just been so good and coming into their own. And remember in that last game. It was all about the run game for Kansas City. It wasn't about the passing game. I mean, they ran for like 150 yards in that game with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, Edwards-Hilaire was ridiculous. Playing. Yeah, yeah. Right. He's probably not going to play in this game. The Bills didn't have Matt Milano, their linebacker, uh, right. one of their best linebackers in that game. They didn't have John Feliciano, one of their best uh, offensive guards. And Chris Jones, I mean, absolutely murdered them on the offensive line in that game. With Feliciano in this game, I think that'll help them out. I think if Josh Allen runs the football, I don't think the Bills can run the football much, but I think if Josh Allen does, I think they're going to have some design runs for him. I think the Bills go into Kansas City, and I think they upset the Chiefs, and I think they Ooh, go to the Super Bowl. Really? That, that's, that's, that's the, that was what we had picked. Me and Matt, my partner, on the, on the Sunday card, had picked before the playoffs had started, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to squeak out a victory, and uh, it will be a party. I mean, you want a party, you're going to get a party. In Buffalo, COVID or no COVID, it's not going to matter up there. Those people are nuts. Well, but if they if that's going to happen, uh, Josh Allen has to have a better game. I mean, he struggled against the Chiefs the first time. What he only threw he for like 120 yards the first time that they played. Um, so I mean, he did. And Spagnola Spagnola has had a great game plan for him. I think that Brian Dable is going to figure it out this time. Okay. Well, that's that. That I did not see that one coming. Um, and by the way. Andy Reid, um, that may be the 
uh, the the onionist call I've ever seen in my life. He showed some some big uh, you know what's by making that call on fourth down with your backup quarterback in the game last week. He is an all timer for me after that call. That was unbelievable. That's Andy Reid for you. I love that guy. I really do. Uh, and and you know what? And I you had to feel good for Chad Henney because Chad Henney looked like he might have pissed that game away for Kansas City when he threw up that dying <laughs> quail into the end zone, and somehow they uh, still end up winning the game anyway. But you know what? Uh, and again, you know, I thought Cleveland played as uh, played a pretty good game. You know, I mean, I thought that they had an opportunity to win that game, and and I don't think there is any shame for Cleveland. I mean, I, obviously their fans are disappointed. But that's look. That's a good football team, and Baker Mayfield. I, I, I you know, I, I've come to I've come to respect him a lot more. Absolutely, I thought Cleveland actually lost that game more than Kansas City won. I mean, the, the fumble, the fumble at the goal line for the touchback was a tough. Oh, that's that tough. was that brutal. was the hardest thing for yep. them. Yep. That was so brutal, and then him to throw a pick in the fourth quarter like that. They, they they had opportunities. They just couldn't cash. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's get to the game that everybody is talking about, and that is the uh, <laughs> the Brady and uh, Aaron Rodgers. And this is a rematch of a game that happened earlier in the season, and Aaron Rodgers was awful. Awful. He threw for 160 yards, got picked twice, got sacked four times. How about this? They've, Green Bay's only allowed 21 sacks all year. Four of them were in that one game against Tampa uh, back on, what, October the uh, 18th. So... If you're Aaron Rodgers, you know, you've got to turn that around and there's nothing that makes me believe that he can't. And the reason that he played so poorly was because I think the Buccaneers did a great job of disguising blitzes. I mean, they blitzed him on half of the snaps that the Packers had played. Yep. They blitzed. I mean, they, they that's what they do. They're super aggressive. They're going to come out in a lot of zone coverages, and they're going to try and confuse the heck out of them and, and get to them. And, and that, I mean, you have to be able to knock Aaron Rodgers off his spot. But the problem has been that the offensive line has been so good the last, the last few weeks yep. that it may not matter. And Rodgers has been, more than anything this year, he's been patient. Um, he's willing to take what the defense is going to give him. So the big question, the big question, for Tampa is they need to be able to stop the run game of the Packers because if, if they do that, that'll really screw a lot of things up. The Packers love, love to run play action, and that is set up by the run game. And if they can't run the ball, and that's exactly what they did. Right. I mean, in that game, they, they shut down the run game and forced Rodgers to make passes that were quick and, uh, and, it, didn't, and it didn't suit to them. And it, and it threw off the timing of what they wanted to do. Now, on the other side, Tom Brady, I mean, listen, this is amazing. 14 conference championship games is insanity, uh, and they'll probably never be touched again. But, but at this point, I, I, think that, I think that what the Bucks are going to do is the Bucks have to be patient in this game. They have to run the football. I think they have to run the football because if Antonio Brown is not good to go, then that's really going to kind of throw a wrench into their plans as far as trying to get stuff over the middle. I don't think the Packers want to do that. It, it wasn't, listen, this was not a Bucks win on Sunday that was propelled by their offense. It was propelled right. by their defense. Absolutely. I mean, clearly. Yep. So the Bucks got to be better and they got to be patient. They have to run the football because if they can do that, that's going to force Green Bay to load up the box again, and that's when they're going to take their shots down the field. So now, to me, this is a classic win-the-game-in-the-trenches type of game. A lot of people are making uh, you know, a lot of the temperature. It's going to be under 30 degrees, and they're like, well, Tampa's a warm-weather team. Yeah, well, okay, they are. However, Tom Brady, uh, in his 14 playoff games, when it's 29 degrees or lower, he's 13-1. and one. So Tom Brady yeah. doesn't seem to be <laughs> affected by cold weather very much, and the Patriots in games like that in you know uh, were twenty five and four. So when Brady was there, so I don't think the weather is going to be a problem for Tom Brady. Will it be a problem for the rest of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Will be the question. I just I, I think this is one of those things that is a little overblown. I think with Brady knowing that it's going to be cold. I don't think it's going to bother them that much. I think they'll be okay. They've played in 
in some cold weather games, um, but obviously, but this is not, this is Green Bay. It, I think it has to do with the environment. It's going to be snowing and then who they're playing. That they, they, they just have to ignore that. Unfortunately for them, I don't know how disciplined their coaching staff is. And I think the coaching staff, more than anything, it, it might cost, it might cost the, the Bucks this game. I just don't know if, I don't know if Leftwich and Arians calling plays here. And, and I get it. Brady is like a coach on the field, but, but I, I just don't know if, if they make the right decisions in certain key spots that don't have anything to do with Brady. So for that reason, I, I just think the Packers are just playing. The Packers look like the most dominant team. They look like the Super Bowl champions is what they look like. They look like the most dominant team in football. I, I wouldn't be stunned if the Bucks won this game. Uh, I think if the Bucks win it, I don't think that it will be close. I think the Bucks won't win a close game. Or I think that they will, they will stun everybody and blow out the Packers. I think the Packers can can blow out, can blow out Tampa Bay. So I really do. Uh, I, I'll, so I'll take the Packers here, so and, and I think they'll I think they'll win comfortably. To be honest with you. So we're going with the two cold weather cities going south for the Super Bowl. That's what we're looking at. You know, and the one cool thing is, is if if Tampa did win it, wouldn't I not be the first team to ever actually host? A Super Bowl? They would. They would be the first team to host a Super Bowl. And if it was Tampa versus Buffalo, the story would be Brady versus the Bills one more time. I mean, yeah. wouldn't that be something? Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, that would point. be I think you have I think you have storylines for every single matchup. For the Bucks and the Chiefs, you're gonna get Brady versus Mahomes. Packers and Chiefs, you're gonna get Rogers versus Mahomes, which would be amazing. Right. Um, the the one thing that isn't a, a super great storyline is the Bills and Packers, and that is <laughs> that is, is what you're predicting. That, I mean, yeah. so which is what I'm picking. Yeah, so great. I'm I'm kind of not really doing anything for the fans there, but I, I do think that that would be a really cool matchup uh, of a young team that that is a Cinderella story, a city that hasn't been there in years, trying to get its first title versus title town and Aaron Rodgers who's trying to cement his legacy as uh, as one of the greats of all time, which I think he already is, but he would start putting himself in that conversation for top two, three. Uh, some people put him number one over Brady. Um, I, I think he would put himself right in there in that conversation if he, if he was to win a title this year. All right, Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. Enjoy the game, my friend, and we will talk to you next week so we can uh, start previewing the Super Bowl. I, I always hate that week off between the Super Bowl and the, the conference <laughs> championship. I hate it. I hate it. But we'll uh, we'll bring you on to dissect these championship games next week, and maybe I'll do you a favor. Maybe we'll we'll tape it Thursday night so you can sleep in on Friday. How about that? Oh, you're, you're, you're too sweet. Yeah, you're I'm, too sweet. I'm, I love me. <laughs> All right, buddy, enjoy the games. We'll talk to you next week. Jane, it's the best time of year. I can't wait. God bless. Have a good weekend. All right. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning, my friends. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Chris Christopherson, the Silver Tongue Devil, and I. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.